Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Eastside. Hallelujah. Give yourselves a big hand. Amen. Yeah. Hallelujah. I tell you what, um, this is just, again, one of uh, the great things I get to do, and that is to, to be in a place like this to minister and to bring the word, but to also meet so many special people. And uh, your pastor is one of those uh, people that, um, as he said, we met and we had not a lot of time together, but we got connected immediately. Amen. And so many of you here, uh, as he said, might not know exactly what uh, we do. Kathy and I have been in ministry going on eight, uh, 38 years this year. We are originally from South Africa. We now reside here in the United States, and we live in northern Colorado. And um, we've been traveling and having a traveling ministry, if you call it itinerant ministry. Uh, I do a lot of uh, conference speaking in different conferences and churches and so on. Uh, and uh, we've done that for the last 27 years. And so if you do have time afterwards, go past our table that's there. It's rapidly, rapidly uh, being depleted, which is a good thing. There's uh, books on there. I've written several books that, uh, the, the particular book that uh, Pastor just had, I'm going to be talking a little bit about the revelation God has given me uh, on that subject here this morning. So uh, please go and have a look at that. Pick up some of uh, our brochures there and you can see what we do and where we're going. We're trusting God for some uh, new direction uh, in, in, the, in the near future and opening some doors uh, to, to minister and bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ throughout the world. Amen? And so you're welcome to go and have a look at that. Turn with me in your Bibles, and let's go there to um, Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 18. Hallelujah. I want to uh, talk to you today uh, on uh, about... A revelation God gave me about discovering true love. Now, in this passage of Scripture, I want to use this just uh, as a passage of Scripture. Uh, I don't usually use this verse uh, to begin uh, this particular kind of message, but the Lord laid this upon my heart just to begin with this in Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 18, and especially in the Amplified Version. So if you don't have an Amplified um, and, uh, you know, then just listen because, and it's, and it will be on, on the back there, hopefully. And it, it does exactly what it says. It's the amplified version. So what does it do? It amplifies the scripture. It amplifies what is really being said. The English language, uh, is a little limited, uh, compared to the Hebrew and the Greek languages. So sometimes we don't always get exactly what is being said. So let's begin there, and, and Isaiah, uh, the prophet, the book of Isaiah, so much of the book of Isaiah is really prophetic revelation about the finished work of Christ and the New Testament and what Christ came to do. And in this passage of Scripture, um, we find a revelation of God's uh, posture towards us. And then our posture towards or should be towards him. And it begins by saying this. And therefore the Lord earnestly waits, expecting, looking, and longing 
to be gracious to you. And therefore he lifts himself up that he may have mercy on you and to show loving kindness to you. For the Lord is a God of justice or he's a God who is just. And so the first thing that I see in this verse this morning and I want to speak to you about this this morning is that prophetically the prophet speaks about God's posture towards us, not just as believers, but to us as, as mankind. And he, he makes it very clear. He says, the Lord is a God who, as, as this scripture says here, who's earnestly waiting. He, he has an expectation. He waits, expecting, looking, and longing uh, to be gracious to you. And therefore, he lifts himself up. I used uh, the illustration in, in, the, in the early service about how even as a father, uh, when I used to take uh, our family on vacation and we'd go down to the beach and my kids were small and they were playing you know, on the beach and in the, in the little, little waves in front, I, would, I wouldn't just sit in my, in my deck chair kind of removed and t- kind of oblivious to where my children are. Uh, I would be sitting on the edge and it says he lifts himself up. You know, I, I would sit on my deck chair and every now and then I would lift myself up to see where are they and what are they doing and are they, are they okay and can I help and is there anything I can make sure that they don't get hurt or something. And I can see in this passage of Scripture is, is really what, what Isaiah is portraying and God's posture towards us is that He's a God who's constantly waiting, looking and longing to be gracious to us. To, 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 be, to be a God of grace towards us. And then it says, He lifts Himself up that He may have mercy on us and show loving kindness to us, for He is a God who is just. Then, verse, then the next part of it, it changed. It says, Blessed, happy, and fortunate, uh, and to be envied are all those who earnestly wait for Him who expect and look and long for him, for his victory. You know, so many times, you know, the truth is God never changes. And the first part of this verse is speaking about God's posture towards us, and that posture never changes. God doesn't change his mind when he sees us. And we'll see in a moment as we're going to get into this message that God's posture towards us is constantly, oh, how can he be gracious to you? How can he show you mercy? You know, the, the word mercy, in, in the, uh, in, especially in the Hebrew language, speaks about God's willingness and passion to treat you better than you deserve. Not like you deserve, but better than you deserve. And so he says uh, to be merciful to you, to show loving kindness to you. But so many times I find that people, and, and many times believers, their posture towards God is a posture of, uh, I, I need to hide myself from God. I need to, I need to uh, take my gaze away from God because God's somehow disappointed in me. Somehow God is not uh, you know, favorable to me. But he says, not only is God's posture towards you to be favorable to you, but you, you and I need to have an expectation of him. 
being favorable to us. Notice what it says. He says, blessed, happy, fortunate to be envied are all those who earnestly wait for him. Not wait for him to be, to be a criticizing or critical, but wait for him who expect him and look and long for him for his victory, for his favor, for his love, for his peace. His joy and his matchless, unbroken companionship. You see, I've, uh, over the years, become con- to- totally convinced and, uh, that, the, that, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the revelation, the overwhelming revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the New Testament is a revelation of God's unconditional love for people. Now, of course, there's, there's much that we can glean in wisdom and in everyday understanding and how to deal with life from the Scriptures. But when it comes to the revelation of Jesus Christ and the New Testament, it is an overwhelming revelation of God's love for people. You know, we've got uh, Scriptures we all know. You know, John chapter 3 and verse 16. Most Christians can even quote that in several different translations. But it says in the Amplified, it says, For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that He even gave up His only begotten unique Son, that whosoever believes in, trusts in, clings to, relies on Him, uh, should not perish or shall not perish, Uh, come to destruction, be lost, but have eternal, everlasting life. And so it's very clear in John John chapter 3, verse 16, uh, verse 16 tells us very clearly what God sent Jesus to do. He sent Jesus to do this, to show us how much He loves us, that if we would trust in Him, we would have an experience and live. I like the Amplified, not just have but enjoy. Hallelujah. To enjoy. God actually wants us to enjoy the abundant eternal life that He came to give us. Man, I tell you, I can, I can kind of preach go any kind of way right now. Amen. It's great to be in a church where you, when you preach, you know, you, you, you can go almost anywhere because people are receiving. But verse 17 tells us what God, what God sent Jesus not to do. Verse 16 tells us what he sent Jesus to do, but verse 17 tells us what he sent Jesus not to do. He says, for God did not send the Son into this world in order to judge, to reject, to condemn, to pass sentence on the world, but that the world might find salvation and be made, I love this in the application, be made safe and sound through him. Now, you know, I mean, that's the revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's a very clear revelation. Now, many years ago, the Lord gave me this revelation I, I, I'm going to share with you. So turn with me in your Bibles here, and let's go to John chapter 13 about discovering true love. Now, John chapter 13 um, uh, is a passage of Scripture that is going to uh, give us a little bit of background uh, about the story that I'm about to tell you. Years ago, I was ministering here in the, the States. We, uh, Kathy and I were still living in South Africa. And so 
I used to come back and forth to the United States and Canada and places like that, uh, sometimes two or three times a year to minister in different conferences. And, and uh, this particular time, I came to the United States and I was here ministering in different churches and, and different conferences for a, a, almost a five-week period of time. So I'd been away from home and um, uh, I was on the, the airport, well, actually on the airplane in Atlanta getting ready to fly back to South Africa. And so I'd come to the end of my trip, end of, you know, all of the conferences we did. And, and I sat down in the, in, in the seat kind of relaxing. I had my Bible in my hand and I was sitting back kind of feeling very happy with myself, happy with how things had gone, uh, happy that the, that the ministry went well, the conferences went well, um, you know, uh, uh, sold. I had a lot of product that, you know, just uh, these conferences, people bought my books and stuff. You know, it was all awesome. I just felt really great. When the Lord uh, started to speak to me and, and, and I started reading out of Scripture, out of John 21, where we will go in a moment. And in John chapter 21 is really where Jesus and Peter had a conversation. And of course, that's the place where Jesus asked Peter, says, Peter, do you love me? And in this conversation, the Lord started to speak to me. But before we get there, I want to maybe just lay a little background about who Peter was. And here in John 13, if you go there with me to John 13, you will see, now it's good that you get there because I'm not there. <laughs> I, was, I was in Luke 13. It was not going to say what I wanted it to say. But in, in, in uh, John 13, I'm going to read from, say, verse uh, 36. This is where Jesus told his disciples that he was going to go away. And so in verse 36, Simon Peter, now how many of you know that Simon Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends? You know, they were what they call the inner circle. You know, Peter, James, and John. They were the kind of closest friends of Jesus. And so Peter was the guy that comes to Jesus and he says in verse 36, now I'm going to read out of the old King James and, uh, you know, for the younger people here, I apologize. So, you know, if you don't know, just ask the person next to you what, they, what it's saying. But, but verse 36, it says, Simon Peter said unto him, said unto Jesus, Lord, whither goest thou? Plain English, where are you going? And then he says, Jesus answered and said, whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterward. So, you know, here's, here's uh, Peter. Peter's say, saying to Jesus, Jesus, wh what do you mean you're going to go away? Well, here's you've got to understand. For three years, the disciples had given up everything. They'd given up their businesses. They've, they left their families, many of them. And they're following Jesus as disciples of the Lord Jesus. And now Jesus just says, hey, by the way, I'm going to go. And I'm going to go away. And where I'm going, you can't follow me. And Peter's like, Lord, well, where are you going? And so Jesus, Jesus says to them, listen, you can't follow me now, but you will come afterward. Now notice it goes a little bit further here. Boy, I tell you, there's, there's so much in this 
that, that uh, I've got to be very careful that I keep, keep on track here. But listen to what, what, what Peter says. Peter said unto him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? Why can't I go with you now? Now notice what he then says. I will lay down my life for your sake. Man, that's, that's pretty stout for somebody to come. And he's saying to Jesus, Jesus, you can count on me. There's nothing you can go through. There's nothing you can face in life that I'm not going to have your back. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a, I mean, that's a great thing to hear from somebody, right? And I believe that at the time when Peter said this to Jesus, he absolutely meant every word that he said to Jesus. He had, he had no doubt in his heart that there was going to ever be a scenario where he is going to be able to not die for Jesus' cause. But isn't that just how sometimes we are? I identify with Peter because I know how many times in my walk and in my ministry, there have been times where I've said to the Lord, Lord, I've got your back here. You can count on me. I'm your man. How many times I have gone before the Lord in times of full honesty and saying, God, from this moment on, you can trust. You can trust that you can trust in me, Jesus, that I'm going to do what I set out to do. I am going to be there for you. I, how many times have we not made our vows to God? And many times it would be in a time where you fully are motivated and you fully, you fully mean God. From this moment on, I, I'm telling you, I will never do this again. <laughs> Come on. And tomorrow morning, you do it. I know that none of you know what I'm talking. I just speak. I'll, I'll just speak about myself. You know, <laughs> how many times I've said to the Lord, God, from this moment on, to, from tomorrow morning, five o'clock in the morning, I get up. I'm getting up. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to spend time with you. I don't know why it's always five o'clock in the morning. Is, is, that, is, is there something spiritual about that? <laughs> I don't know. You know, I, you know, for me, it's like I'm sure God is nodding off at 5 o'clock in the morning. Amen. The Bible says he doesn't slumber, neither does he sleep. But I know. But here's the thing. And then tomorrow morning, I get up. How many of you? Go, go, tomorrow morning, alarm goes off. Hallelujah. I'm going to get up, make a cup of coffee. Oh, I'm just going to check. I'm just going to check, check Facebook. I know. Again, like I said, I know not, none of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, oh, I'll just check my, my emails. And then you grab the Bible. Now a half an hour, three quarters of an hour is gone. You grab the Bible and you start reading. And then at 8 o'clock, <laughs> am I the only one that's ever done that? And then you, and how you feel. Well, this is Peter. Peter is just at the place where he says, Jesus, I'm going to give my life for you. You can count on me. You can trust in me. And you know what Jesus says to him? He says, Simon Peter, are you going to give your life for my cause? 
How would you feel? <laughs> I thought about that many times. I thought, how would I, if, if it was me, and there I am, I'm in this moment with Jesus where I pledge my heart. And he turns around and says, will you give your life for me? He says, before the cock crows tonight, you're going to deny me three times. I mean, if it was me, I would have said, oh, is that how it is? <laughs> now, you have double dog dared me. <laughs> I am going to show you, Jesus. You think I can? I now, will, I'm, now I'm more determined, right? But you all know what happened not many, many hours after that. A teenage girl corners him, most probably pokes her finger in his chest and says, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? This is just my translation. And he, not only does he deny that he's the follower of Jesus, he denies, at the end he denies, I don't even know who you're talking about. And at that moment, the scripture says, Jesus and Peter's eyes met. And Peter looking in the eyes of Jesus. It says he left by the side door and he wept bitterly. Can you imagine how he must have felt? Not maybe, not maybe just being, being embarrassed in front of all the people that were there in that that sacred place, but the disappointment in himself. You know, I can, I can tell you multiple times in my Christian walk, in my walk with the Lord, where I have felt that disappointment, not in God or anybody else, but the disappointment in me. And I can imagine Peter leaving there thinking to himself, what kind of a man are you? That just a couple of hours ago, you pledged your life for this man and for his cause. And you weren't even able to stand up to a teenage girl who points you out. And you know, so many times, even in our own lives, it might not be as, as huge a thing as this. But there they are times, I know that all of us in our walk with God, have felt that disappointment. But you know, uh, what I didn't do in, in, the, in the first service here, I'm going I'm to kind of do, I'm taking license here. Is that okay, Pastor? Uh, you know, because if you, read, if you read, now I don't think Peter understood what happened here, but if you read chapter 14 and verse 1 and verse 2, you know, you know, of course, that Jesus didn't speak and Peter didn't speak in chapter and verse. They didn't come to chapter uh, 13 and verse 38 and then said, okay, chapter 14, verse 1. No, it's still the same conversation. But what we do is we read up to verse 38, then we put down our Bibles, then the next time we pick up our Bibles, we go back to chapter 14 and verse, we start in verse, verse 1 and thinking that this is now a new chapter. 
But actually, chapter 14, verse 1, is the continuation of the discussion going on here. He says, Jesus says, Peter, are you going to lay down your life for me? He says, before the cock crows, at the end of the, uh, the night here, you're going to deny me three times. But listen to what he says in verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Man, I let not your, Peter, you are going to deny me. You are going to fail, but don't let your heart be troubled. Oh, listen to this. Listen. You believe in God? He says, believe also in me. In my father's house. Oh, my God. Now, you know, unfortunately, the way it's translated in the English version here, in the English language, we have so misused this passage of Scripture. Because he says, in my father's house, there are many mansions. In fact, the Greek word there is not talking about a mansion or a house, a mansion like we, you know, beautiful home. It just talks there, in my father's presence, there's enough space. Watch this. In my father's house, there, uh, there are many mansions, or there's enough space. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, Peter. A traitor. Wow. I tell you, when we start to see... Now, I don't think Peter understood this. He most probably understood after the fact. After everything is done, I believe he could have gone back and said, Oh, that's what Jesus meant. You see, this was the Peter. This is this same Peter. Now, in chapter 21, if you turn with me to chapter 21, we're going to go to the passage of Scripture where the Lord spoke to me so many years ago, and, and, and really gave me a revelation of discovering the true love of God. You see, brothers, the truth is, every one of us in this room and every human being, the greatest need we all have is to discover true love. There's no greater need in the human being than to discover what true love is and to discover a relationship of true love. Now, unfortunately, so many of us, what we do is we go and look for that love in all of the wrong places, in all of the wrong people. And because of that, we suffer with tremendous insecurities. Have you ever noticed that almost all the people that you deal with in life are insecure? Have you ever noticed how insecure people are? The thing that we don't notice is that we're just as insecure as they are. And when, when we live our lives out of our insecurities, we're going to live with the consequences of trying to find a place of love and acceptance in all of the wrong places. 
And I was sitting on this airplane and I was feeling good about myself, feeling good about this conferences and feeling good about ministry. I'm going home. I'm going to have a, a, a week or so that I'm going to be relaxing with my family and being with my family. And, and I'm sitting there and I'm reading this passage of scripture out of John chapter 21. I'm just kind of studying it as I'm going along. I'm always studying. I always, I'm always busy studying the word. And, and so I started studying this. Now, of course, this is, this is now where Peter and and. And all of the other disciples are now going to really meet and be in a social setting with Jesus after he'd been crucified and resurrected from the dead. And here we're going to find Peter now really for the first time. Now Jesus had showed himself to his disciples twice before, but both of the times really Peter wasn't there. In fact, the one time Jesus showed himself, he said, now go tell Peter. Right? Because Peter wasn't there. So now Peter is going to be in a social setting with the person that he promised. That Jesus, you can count on me. I am your man. I have your back. And then he failed. And now he's going to be with Jesus. And so if you go to, to chapter, chapter 21, verse 1, it says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. They were together Simon Peter, so we know Peter was there, Simon Peter, and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said unto them, I go fishing. Now, if you, if you want to get the whole story here, of course, Jesus told them to go tarry, go wait, wait for me. So now they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting. And so most probably Peter is the one who's like, man, I failed Jesus so bad. And, and, and now we don't even know where he is. His tomb is empty. We don't know where he is. I've heard testimony. People say that he's risen. I've not seen it myself. Peter had a, had a, had a very quick encounter with, with the actual Jesus resurrected, but he didn't even really realize it was Jesus. So you can imagine. And so Peter has just got to that place like so many of us. We get to that place where things don't necessarily work out the way we want it to work out. And we, we're, we're failed in many ways. And it just gets to that place. And it's like, you know what? You know, they've given up. They've given up their businesses. They've, three years they've been following Jesus. And he most probably just goes, you know what? I'm going back to, know, to do what I know how to do. I'm a commercial fisherman. And I'm going to go back fishing. And I'm going to go back to what I always did before. Now, you know what's interesting about this? <laughs> if you read in all of the Gospels where Peter ever goes fishing, he never catches anything. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. Every time you see Peter goes fishing commercially, there's only one time that he went fishing where Jesus said, go fishing, and in the fish's mouth, you're going to have a, uh, enough money, you're going to get money to pay our taxes. That's the only time. Every other time he went fishing as commercially on these commercial fishermen, every time it says they toiled all night but caught nothing. And every time Jesus had to help him. 
And even now, he says, I'm going fishing. Now, it's interesting. The scripture here says, and all of these other disciples, they all said, we're going with you. You know, sometimes how he's in the crowd, you know, you're just waiting for that first person to break away. And when that first person breaks away, you know, it's like, well, I'm, I'm with you, you know. And so they all, because they were all fishermen. So they think, but we know how to do it. And the, and the story here goes, without me having to read it all, the story here goes that they go fishing and they toil all night. The next morning, they're busy coming back. And Jesus is now waiting for them on the shore, on the, shore, on the beach. And he sees them coming and he shouts out, Brethren, have you caught any fish? The answer comes back. No, we toiled all night but caught nothing. <laughs> Same old story. And Jesus says, cast your nets on the right side of the ship. And when they do, they catch so much fish that the nets were busy breaking. And then in verse 7, now if you go there to verse 7, listen to these words. This, this, is, this is John, the, the author of this book, writing about himself. And this is what it says. It says, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter. I want you to notice something about the way he refers to himself. He doesn't refer to himself as the disciple who loves Jesus. You know, I meet, I, meet, I meet many people. I meet many people, students, you know. And, and often I will meet people who come to me and say to me, you know, Arthur, I'm so and so and so. And I tell you, I love Jesus, man. I and I always think to myself, you know, when I hear that, it brings me back to the story. Because John says, he says, he refers to himself, the disciple, not who loves Jesus, but the disciple who understands that he's loved of Jesus. Said to Peter, it's the Lord. The story is, Peter, you know, most people take off their clothes and dive into the water and swims. Peter puts on his clothes and dives into the water and swims. And he gets to, he gets to where Jesus is. They all get there. Jesus has got food ready. He's got a campfire. He's got cakes going. He's got some fish. He says, bring some of the fish you just caught. We're going to have breakfast now. I can just imagine that. And so that, now they're sitting. Now, now Peter and all the other disciples, they, they're there with Jesus. Can you, can you see the awkwardness maybe in Peter's conversation with Jesus? Because now P Peter's meeting Jesus for the first time. He's the, he's the one that said to Jesus, I'm going to be there for you, Jesus. You can count on me, man. I'm, I'm your man. If there's, in fact, in another passage in Matthew, I think it is, it says, it says, he said to Jesus, even if all of these other disciples forsake you, Jesus, you can count on the fact that I'll be there for you. Wow. And so they all eating, I'm sure he's sitting there just making small talk. Isn't that a beautiful day today? And boy, I tell you, this food is, this food is great. Jesus, you, you, really, you really know how to cook that fish, man. I tell you. And so just talking small talk, you know, avoiding looking in the eyes of Jesus. But if you go down there, and let's go there to verse 15. It says, so when they had dined, now listen to this. 
When they had finished eating, have you ever been at a, at, at a, at a party or dinner or whatever, and, and, and while you're eating, there's kind of small talk going on, but then you get to the end of the, the time and there's a lull in the conversation. I believe that's when it was the kind of lull in the conversation. And then Jesus, it says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas. Now, now it's not general talking. Now Jesus is looking at Simon. And he says, Simon Peter. And he says, son of Jonas, if you didn't know who I'm talking to, I will call you by your genealogy. Simon Peter, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And you know, I'm sitting on the airplane, I'm reading this, and as I read that for the first time, you know, it's amazing how sometimes we can just read things kind of super spiritually. But that day I was reading it and it dawned on me. I thought to myself, ouch, Jesus. I, 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 you know, you, now you're calling this guy out and you say, you say to him, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me more than this? I mean, isn't that what he said? He said, he said even if all of these forsake you, Jesus, I will be there for you. And now Jesus is calling him out. But you know, it's an interesting thing. In, in, in our English language, we use the word love. We use it for all kinds of different kinds of love. You know, I love my wife, and I do. But I also love my Harley Davidson. <laughs> I love pancakes. I try not to eat them, but I love pancakes. Uh, I love my dog. I don't have a dog, but we use that term. I love my dog. Now, how many of you understand that all of the terms I used, I used the word love in the English language, but do you understand that all of those loves are different? Right? It's not the same. I don't love my Harley Davidson like I love my wife. Well, I, I ought not to. <laughs> Amen. But here's the thing, though. In the Greek language... They have different words that describe different kinds of love. Now, I'm not going to go through all of them, but Jesus here, when he speaks, when he's the one who comes, and he's now speaking to Peter, he said to Peter, Simon Peter, son of Jonas, do you agape me? Now, the word agape is a, a, a word really that in the Greek, was not often used because it speaks about the highest kind of love there is. It speaks about an unconditional love. So the best way I can explain this is to say, to say it this way. When he said to Peter, do you love me? What Peter heard, this is what he heard. He heard, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me with everything in you? Over the top, unconditional, do you love me? And of course, the response we get here is that he said unto Jesus, uh, Jesus says, do you agape me? He responds, he says, yes, Lord. <laughs> Thou knowest that I love thee. In our English translations, I know, you know that I love you, but you see, Peter doesn't use the word agape. 
Peter doesn't go back and say, yes, Lord, I absolutely, with everything in me, over the top, unconditionally love you. No, he says to, he says to Jesus, Jesus, you know I phileo you. Phileo is, a, is, is known as, you know, like Philadelphia. It's the city of brotherly love. It is, phileo is, I like you. And Jesus responds to him and says, feed my lambs. But immediately Jesus again asks him and says to him, Simon, uh, the, 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 the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, do, do you love me? And again, he uses that term, do you agape me? And again, so Peter hears again, Peter, do you agape me? Do you absolutely with everything in you? I believe Jesus is making sure. Maybe he misunderstood what I said the first time. The second time, let me ask him again. Do you agape me? Do you love me with everything in you? Over the top, unconditionally. And again, Peter answers, Yes, Lord, you know, I like you. I can almost see Peter saying, I, of course, Jesus, I like you. I mean, you know, you fed the 5,000. You raised, you raised our blood, brother Lazarus from the dead. I mean, you, you know, you, you're, a, you're a likable person. You just helped us right here now. And again, Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. And then verse 13, uh, 17 says, and he said to him the third time, and the third time, Jesus doesn't use the word agape. The third time, Jesus says to them, or to him, do you phileo me? And the Bible says that Peter asked and said, yes, Lord, you know I like you. And, and, says, and it says Peter was grieved because the third time, Jesus asked him if he phileoed him. Now, I don't know about you, in all of the years that I've heard people preach on this, I've heard many different interpretations of this, but always it's been an interpretation of, well, you know, Jesus came down to his level or whatever. But I believe that the third time Peter was grieved, not because Jesus asked him a third time, it's because the question Jesus asked the, th for this, the third time was a questioning of his response. Let me show you. Twice. Do you agape me? Yes, Lord, I phileo you. Feed my lambs. Do you, Peter, do you agape me? Everything in you. Yes, Lord, you know I like you. Third time, I hear Jesus saying, Peter, do you even like me? Jesus, and as I'm sitting reading this, and this revelation comes to me, I hear the Spirit of God speak to me and says to me, Arthur, can I ask you the same question I've asked Peter? And I hear the Spirit of God say, because most believers would hate for me to ask them the same question. How about you, Arthur? And boy, I'm sitting in that chair. My chair, is, 
My, that airplane, I've got my seatbelt on. The seatbelt sign is on. The Boeing is taking off. I can't get out of this situation. And I'm realize I am, I am sitting in front of God. And he, how many of you understand that when you confess something, that's not when God finds out. Right? I mean, God asked me this question not because he didn't know. He asked me this question so that I would know. And I'm sitting there and I'm squirming. Because I knew what the right answer should be. The right answer should be, yes, Lord. And, and you know, of course, you've got to put on the tears. Oh, I love you, gee, I love you. But I knew inside of me, there was no more dodging this. I knew that I needed to love him that way. I knew that I'm supposed to love him that way. And immediately I said, I said just out loud, I said, Lord, I desire with everything in me to love you like this. I know that I should love you like this. And really... I desire with everything in me to love you like this. But if I'm going to be real honest with you, I don't. Because if I did, I probably wouldn't be doing the things I do sometimes. And I fully expected to hear him say to me, well, that's exactly what I thought, Arthur. I'm glad that you now realize how, how far short you fall. And I, I fully expected that. Because you know, how many of us have not heard over the years? How many, how many times have you not heard the sermon? Return to your first love. And of course, the whole message is about now what you need to do, pull up your sock, stop doing the things you're doing, and straighten up and love God with everything in you. The first commandment is love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And so I ex fully expected God to say to me, isn't that what is expected of you, Arthur? And here you are, a preacher preaching all over the world and preaching all these conferences. That's what I was thinking. I'm thinking that these, these poor people that have come listen to you preach, they all think that you're just the bee's knees. But instead, this is what I heard. I heard him say, Arthur, I knew that all the time, but I wanted you to know that I'm not concerned if you love me or not. I mean, immediately I thought, devil, get behind me. Because that could only be the devil that would say a thing like that. What do you mean? You're not concerned if I love you or not. I mean, it says, I, I better love you. I, I pull up and say, better. And the Lord said to me, I am not concerned if you love me or not. But what I am concerned about is do you know and will you believe that I love you just the way you are? And then he said to me, go to 1 John. So turn with me and go to 1 John. This revelation, this 
moment in time in my history with God changed my life, changed my ministry. I could say changed my marriage. It changed everything. The way I preach the gospel, the way I treat people, the way I minister to people from that moment, from this moment, changed everything. In 1 John, now of course, 1 John or the, the epistles of John was written by the same author of the gospel of John where he refers to himself not as the one who loves Jesus, but he refers to himself and recognizes himself as someone who is loved by Jesus. And I believe that this revelation in 1 John chapter 4 and verse, if you just drop down there, verse 7, listen, he begins. He begins by saying this. Think about this for a moment. This is old English, and the reason I use it is because of the old English. I want to use it because he says, he begins verse 7, he says, Beloved. Now, I don't know about you guys, even in the South here, I've never heard somebody say, talk to their friends or their, or their family or their wife and say, oh, beloved, come here. We don't use that term anymore, do we? Well, you see, beloved, if you refer to as the beloved of someone, it doesn't just say they love you. See, I could be here and say, I love you guys, meaning I like you. But Kathy is my beloved. I don't just like her. I'm in love with her. Anybody here ever been in love? One. Okay, let me put it this way. Is there anybody in here who thought that they maybe have been in love? I mean, all of us have had that kind of... I'm, I'm telling you, when I fell in love with my wife, something happened. I mean, the day I fell in love with her, you know what I did? My knees didn't work properly. <laughs> it, it felt like they could bend the other way. I stopped doing things that I said I would never stop doing. I started doing things I said I would never do. I'll give you an example. I, this is stupid. Young, people, young men, don't listen to this as any good advice. Here, here, but, but this is where I was. And as, as a young man, Kathy and I met, we've known each other since she, uh, I, she was 11. Uh, I was like, what, uh, 13. We've known each other, but we fell in love when she was 16 and I was 18. And fell in love, head over heels in love. But see, at that time, I had girlfriends all over the place. <laughs> and my whole job was, let none of their paths cross. <laughs> Immediately when I fell in love with her, I broke it off with all of those. I, I was, at that time, arrogant. I was like, send a woman flowers? Pfft, they can send me flowers. 
very first thing I did when I fell in love with her, send her flowers. You see, because when you discover what he discovers is that you're the beloved of God. God doesn't just love you, brother and sister. He's in love with you. He's in love with you. And then he goes, beloved, let us, let, let, us love, or let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. That word know is the, is the, the, the Greek word noskos, uh, which speaks about experiential love. It's, it's they who love experience God. They who struggle to love, it's not experiencing God. Now notice here, drop down to verse, to verse uh, uh, 10. Verse 10 says this. Now remember, the Lord said to me, Arthur, I'm not concerned if you love me or not. But what I'm concerned about is, do you know and will you believe that I love you today just the way you are? And this is what it says in John chapter four, uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. Herein is love. Again, that's an old way of saying, this is what love is. Anybody here want to really know about what true love is? Not that we love God, but that He loves us. This is what it's all about. See, God that day brought the revelation to me. It's not about your performance. It's not about how you can pull up your socks and, and be the one I can trust in. I am the one you can trust in. Oh, hallelujah. It's not about you loving God. It is a fact that He loves you. And what's more important, drop down there to verse, to verse, um, uh, verse 17. Uh, he says, here is our love, or, or herein is our love made perfect, as the old English, or this is how you, you know that you, that, uh, sorry, verse 16, I'm, I'm in the wrong place, verse 16, uh, and we have known and believed the love that God has to us. This is John. He says, we have known and believed. You know, I find that in the church as a whole, not just here in America, but all over the world, we have known about God's love. Oh, we go to, we go to church when we're children and we learn the song. Jesus loves the little children. And we all know, oh, yeah, I, I know God loves, and, but, but we, see, I, we think that, that God's love is this platonic Kind of, kind of cares for everybody. But John says, no, 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 hang on. Not only do we need to know about his love, you need to believe it for yourself. Because, because let's face it, what we do, what all of us do is like, oh, of course, you know, God loves everybody and God loves the pastors and, you know, the elders that were all up here. God loves them. I mean, because, because I mean, look at how holy they are. Look at, look at how, I mean, look at how, how they have it all together. They, 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 they got it all together and, and because they got it together, the reason you and I think that way is because we don't live with them. <laughs> 
And I'm not even talking about living as husband and wives. You don't live in their skin. You don't live with them personally. Because if you lived with them personally, you would know what's going on inside here. So we, yeah, well, God loves, you know, uh, pastor and, and the elders. And of course, sister so-and-so, you know, whoever you think is a holy God. God loves, you know, you might even be here and say, well, surely God loves Arthur. must be. But listen, what John is saying, he's saying it's not just a question of, yes, God loves those. He loves everybody. Will you know and will you today believe in your heart that he loves you? Just the way you are. I would even add, even if you never change. Now, I know one thing. That if you allow him to love you, you'll change. You'll change. Your life changes. Amen. Because what's important for us to see here is that God says, I'm not concerned. In fact, I always say, God said to me, I'm not concerned. Because most people can't take what he actually said to me. He actually said to me, I don't care whether you, like, whether you love me or not. I care. I care so much that you would find out and know and then believe that I love you just the way you are. That I sent my only begotten son to die on that cross. And Paul says... That the cross is the demonstration of God's love towards us. God cared so much. He doesn't care whether you love him. He cares, do you know and will you understand that he has done everything to produce the results needed so that you can understand that he loves you just the way you are. And when you believe that, listen to what it says in verse 19 here. And we'll close with this. Listen, listen carefully. He says, we love him. Because he first loved us. See, God understands and understood all the time that the reason I'm struggling to love him is because I'm still keeping God at arm's length. Oh, yes, God, I know God loves me, but God, I'll only allow you to love me when I have my ducks in a row. Do you, do you use that term here? My ducks in a row? The problem with me was, I didn't, I didn't not only have my ducks in a row, I lost my ducks. <laughs> and so what we do, we go through life, many of us as Christians, it's like, God, okay, once I get my act together, I'll allow you to love me. The problem is we never get our act together. And therefore, we don't allow God to love us. And that day there, I just surrendered and said, Jesus... I've known about this, but today I believe it for myself. You see, it's like that water bottle over there. You can't drink water out of the bottle if the water is not put in it. You can't love God the way he desires for you to love him without him first pouring his love into you. And only then can I start loving him and may I add, loving others the same way. Now, I want to end it by saying this. How many of you know how Peter died? 
Come on. The, 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 the history tells us Peter died crucified upside down, right? Now, we know how he died. So let me ask you another question. Why did Peter die like that? Let me hear. I'm going to hear. Oh, yes. Okay. So, so no, that's true. He, he did. He did say, I am not worthy to die like my Lord. So therefore, crucify me upside down. Okay. So now let's track, backtrack a little bit. Why in the world did they want to crucify him in the first place? I mean, it's not like Peter, Peter was like, you know what? I'm not worthy to die like my Lord, so I'm going to go to the authorities and ask them to crucify me upside down. Yeah. Why did they want to crucify Peter? No, because they came to him. The authorities of the day, not a teenage girl, the authorities of the day came to him and said, you're one of his followers, aren't you? And unless you deny Christ, we are going to crucify you like we crucified your Lord. And the same Peter that couldn't stand up for God or for Jesus when a teenage girl poked him in the chest, the same Peter at the end of his life stood up to the authorities of the day and said, well, crucify me upside down, but I am not denying Christ. Let me ask you this. What made the difference in the Peter from John chapter 21 to when Peter was crucified upside down? His, he knew the love of God. He understood and believed and experienced the love that God has for him. And he could not but fulfill his promise to Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, I tell you, we are all here today, and I believe the call of God here to us today is not, do you love me? But do you know and will you believe that this moment, right now, where you are, with all of your stuff, with all of your disbelief, with all of your failure, with all of your disappointment, do you believe I love you over the top, unconditionally, with, with no strings attached, no hidden agenda, That's the kind of love God has right now. He's not calling upon you. Will you believe that I love you so that he can get you to love him? He just knows that when you receive his love, you will not be able to resist loving him back. Today, there's a saying that says today is the is the first day of the rest of your life. Truly, today can be the first day of the rest of your life in relationship with Jesus. To be empowered. You might be here today and say, you know, I have failed so much. I just don't feel empowered. I'm telling you now, God wants to empower you. 
He wants to transform you. But it can only happen if you will just say, yes, Lord. I'm not, I'm not just saying, you might be here and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, then this is a great place to begin. But you might be here and you've received Jesus many years ago. But today might be the first day that you can just say, yes, Jesus. I'm going to stop trying my best and I'm going to receive what you have for me. I'm going to let you love me just like I am. Let's all stand. Let's all stand.